0: Will you pray with me? Lord, we say along with your first disciples, teach us to pray. Open this word to us this morning that we may pray as you pray, pray as your disciples learn to. In Christ's name, amen. Have a seat. Well, today, uh, sorry, I'm waving to a grandchild or two back there in the very back row. My other of the three is downstairs, where she absolutely was waiting to go to Sunday school. So she, however, sat through 8 o'clock, so here we go. We are continuing Luke's discipleship journey. You remember that we said that in chapter 9, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and he's very eager, intent really, to make sure his disciples get everything they need as they move towards Jerusalem, where Jesus faces death, resurrection, and ascension. And so you remember two weeks ago, Jamie wonderfully reminded us of that trick question by the lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? And the appropriate answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor second, the neighbor as yourself. And then this incredible parable, which we know by the Good Samaritan, in which Jesus plays out what it means to love your neighbor and how he talks about this costly sacrificial love, the love that's epitomized by Jesus at the cross and that he went to the cross to equip us to love that way too. And then last week, we looked at the story of Mary and Martha, a homely little story at first. And then we realized, though, that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to love God, that loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength requires going against the demands of the culture around us and, and, and has to be our service. Of course, we serve God, but our service has to be grounded and rooted in our relationship with Jesus and are listening to his words, both in scripture and his words specifically to us. And so, the disciples have picked up on this, well, you know, the disciples, more or less they've picked up on this, and now they watch Jesus praying as he did over and over again, especially in Luke's gospel, we watch Jesus set, setting us part time to pray. And his disciples then, or one of them, says, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, after all, John taught his disciples to pray. You know, be the rabbi you're supposed to be. Can you imagine? Well, yes, you can, because you've gotten to know the disciples by now. Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and so Jesus does, right? Beginning with a sample pray, prayer. Excuse me. Whenever you pray, do it like this, and then gives us what's obviously meant to be not just a prayer that we pray but a, a sort of outline, uh, a model, a template for our praying. And here it is. Uh, the, we know it is the Lord's Prayer because the Lord gave it to us. But let's pray it now together, but you'll have to pray silently because I bet you don't have the Luke's, Luke's version memorized. You have the other one memorized. We say it every week. So pray it silently as I recite Luke's version. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. So Jesus begins his little lesson on prayer with this prayer as a pattern. But you'll notice Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on and he follows this model prayer with two parables and an exhortation. Two parables bracketing a little exhortation. And as is so often the case, these little parables have some shock value that we often miss, having read it so many times and having been born into this culture instead of first century Palestine. So let's take the first parable first. The midnight visitor, we call it. And it begins with this little idiom. Which of you, it says, Um, it really, which of you really is an idiom that means, can you imagine this? I mean, it automatically assumes there is only one answer to that which of you question. And the answer is none of us can imagine that. Which of you would do this? None of us would do this is what is the expected. So we already know something is afoot. And so Jesus goes on and tells the story of a host who's gotten an unexpected midnight guest, and he rushes to his neighbor for help, for help to feed his unexpected guest. Now, a midnight arrival is not unusual in some very hot parts of the world, but this part of the Middle East was not one of them. So a midnight arrival was just as unusual as it would be for us, and uh, just, but, but just because it's midnight doesn't change the requirement for hospitality which was so big in that culture. We kind of are that way but you know, we might not answer a knock on the door late at night. Uh, the requirement for hospitality is in effect no matter what time of day. And Palestinian villages are not like Fairfax or Burke or Vienna or Arlington. Uh, You know, we live in Winchester where hardly any cars come by. And so you notice when a car comes down the road. But here, I've noticed when I spend the night here, you don't notice the traffic, right? Well, maybe some of you do. Uh, But it's white noise. It's background noise. And, And Palestinian villages also didn't have grassy verges or closed windows, windows at all, or air conditioning that kind of make the sound kind of go back, muffle it kind of, so you don't, you're not really thinking, oh, traffic, usually. But these desert villages are, the homes are built with clay and stone, and the streets are narrow, so you can imagine what, when somebody in the middle of the night walks through them with animals, what's that gonna sound like? It echoes, and the houses are all close together. Everybody is awake. Everybody is awakened by this midnight visitor. Can you picture it? So, and again, when this visitor arrived, however ungodly the hour, hospitality remains the rule, and it's not just a matter of etiquette. It's a matter of honor. And it's not just a matter of honor for the host or the host family. It's a matter of honor for the whole village, right? Word would get out this village is a nasty village, right? Honor is at stake in a culture that values honor above all else. So the host is, you know, on call here. And the honor of the whole town depends on his response. Remember too, as we talked about last week, that bread isn't just food, right? It's not just a basis for the menu but it also functions as a fork and spoon. And each person would be given a loaf, which they'd break off a piece to dip into the dish and then eat, right? And the next time they wanted a little taste, a morsel, they would break off a fresh piece and dip it in. No double dipping (laughs) the way my grandkids tend to do when we have chips and salsa no double dipping so it's stay it's very sanitary right you have your own loaf you dip with a new piece of bread each time and like when we dip at eucharist hopefully no knuckles get in there all right so um in in addition in that culture bread baking wasn't just something you did in your own house in your own oven it was a communal activity there was a town oven and so Everybody went out together, the women went out together and baked bread together, family by family or groups of families by groups of families. So, what does that mean in the little village? It means everyone knew who had the precious bread. And it also means everyone knew who was just about out of bread because their turn was tomorrow. So, everyone would have known that this host is not picking on his neighbor. When he's asking for bread, he's choosing the most likely suspect of someone who would have plenty of already baked bread that can be provided to protect the honor of the community. Notice as well, he calls, he doesn't knock, a stranger would knock, but he's not a stranger. He's asking for the bare minimum, the bare minimum of the meal, and he'd likely go around, the host would likely go around to other families to provide olives and, you know, whatever, flowers for the table or whatever to make it a lovely meal, even though it's midnight. And remember, again, he's not asking because he shirked his duty to have food in the house. He's not asking because he forgot to go to the grocery store. He's not asking even for himself or for his family. He's asking for the whole village to protect their honor, as well as to meet the needs of the midnight visitor. So with this in mind, let's go back to the little story and think of the neighbor's response. The neighbor says, don't bother me, I'm already in bed, the door's locked and the kids are asleep with me. Can any of you imagine that? Now you understand, it's a ridiculous response at every level. Number one, it's ridiculous. Do you think those kids are asleep? I mean, if, the, if so, they're not like any kids I know. They're not like any kids from my family, let's just say. They're not. And if, if they are, they'll go back to sleep. And also the bolt, it's not like a heavy metal bolt like we look at medieval-based medieval Fantasy movies, right? And the creak that would wake everyone up. No, it's a lightweight bolt, not hard to unlock. I mean, we're talking, this is a crazy response. It's lame. Uh, <laughs> the whole neighborhood probably can hear this little interaction too, just saying, it's a lame excuse. And so when Jesus says, Can you imagine which of you would? Everyone goes, there's no way. And the passage continues. Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, which should be enough, right? Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence. Translators have st- struggled with that word impudence. Does it mean persistence? Because he's, well, he's not even knocking because he doesn't stop yelling and, and he's getting and and the neighbor's getting nervous, more likely, again, my um, late mentor, Ken Bailey, says, it's more likely shamelessness. Not shamelessness in that he's shameless and calling out and calling out, but shamelessness in that he's avoiding shame. He wants shamelessness for the community. So in any case, whatever it means, honor, we know that honor is at stake. And the neighbors are all invested in seeing that this new arrival has food and is given a good welcome, even though it's midnight. His honor is at stake. Honor is at stake. His honor, the family's honor, and the community's honor. So remember, this little parable is told in response to the disciples asking, Teach us to pray. So we're supposed to have this picture in mind, which of you, none of you, knowing that God will hear us when we ask. When we ask, God will hear us. He won't be saying, sorry, I'm asleep and my kids are with me. That's not God. God will fling open the door and answer us because God's honor is at stake. and. God's people's honor is at stake. God wants to be true to who he is. Of course he's going to answer our requests. He is. And Jesus goes on. He concludes with this little exhortation, which you probably memorized, right? And I tell you, ask, and it will be given you, right? Seek, and you will find... Knock, and it will be open to you, right? You can see how this follows from that little story. Ask, seek, knock, knock with confidence that your asking will get a positive response. The fact that God's honor is at stake seems to be implied here. This week, I had my granddaughter, Marie visiting me. And let's just say Mary is good at asking. She asked for all kinds of things this weekend. Uh, she wanted to go to the Discovery Museum. Of course, her granddaddy said, yes, yes. right. She asked for, to go to the orchard. Mimi took her. She asked for snacks. Most of the time, she got them. Uh, probably more than her mother would have given her. And she asked for a sewing kit. She wanted a sewing kit because she wants to sew toys for people who have less than she does. So, uh, she hasn't gotten that yet, but can I just tell you? It's in my Amazon cart. Just saying. Like, I'm invested in saying yes to Mary, not just because I love her, but Like my honor as a Mimi is at stake. I mean, maybe that's stretching it a little, but I wanna be a fabulous Mimi. You know, I want her to wanna come back and I want her to come again and again. And I also want her parents to know that when her daughter comes to visit me, her mother's grinning back there, um, her daughter will return happy. She does not have to worry, right? So that's a sense in which, you know, it's a stretch. My honor is at stake. And although once in a while I do say no, like to too much chocolate to the other one back there, I have a lock on my freezer. Um, it's always for a reason, right? Because I know what the consequences will be to this request that looks good, but really is damaging to her, right? But mostly I say yes. I say yes. and. Just in Mary's case, she keeps asking, right? She keeps asking because she knows what she wants. And she kind of knows if she asks enough, she may get it. Or at least she'll, if she doesn't get that, she'll get a very good reason as to why the answer is no. And I think Mary is a good example to us in prayer, right? We should ask like that with the expectation, of course Mimi wants to give me the best. Of course God is eager to hear and respond to our requests. As the colleague said this morning, more eager to hear and respond to us than we are to pray. Jesus then follows this parable and this little exhortation with a second little parable. Can you imagine same little idiom, right? Would any of you Can you imagine, a father, that when his son asks for a fish, would give him a serpent? Or when his son asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? You can't imagine such a thing. Matthew's version says, when his son asks for bread, would you give him a stone? Of course none of us could imagine such a thing, could we? We're meant to think, this is crazy, it's unthinkable unimaginable, even a bad father wouldn't do something like that. If you, then, Jesus says, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Or as Matthew puts it, will give good things to those who ask him. Our Father in heaven is much more willing to give good things to us, to give the Holy Spirit to us, than our earthly fathers are. Much more willing. And Jesus wants us to pray with that in mind. Do you? I have to confess that... and. When I, if I go too long without be, being reminded of this, a lot of times I don't ask, assuming that God is so eager to give to me. I'm, I, I hate to say that, but it's not my frame of mind all the time when I pray. You know, I go begging, like maybe if I beg enough, even though Jesus says over and over, that's not how we're supposed to pray, right? Do you pray? Like knowing Knowing deep down, confidently, that of course God is eager to give you good things, including the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to pray that way with that in mind. Now, with this in mind, let's go back to a little prayer, the little model prayer that Jesus gave us when they asked, Teach us to pray. Keep in mind, that he wants us to pray with confidence, that of course he's going to hear us and meet our needs because his honor is at stake, and with a deep sense, we're to pray with a deep sense of his love and his readiness to give. So whenever you pray, pray like this. Father. You know, that's the one Jesus prays to. Father. Likely written in Aramaic, his home tongue, his home language, his heart language, not informal Greek or Latin father um, and it's a word, Abba in Aramaic is a word that has the has connotation both of deep intimacy but also of respect we don't really have a word like that in English right, daddy is informal father is dis- more distant uh, but Abba has both mixed in and aramaic means the fact that it was prayed in aramaic means we don't use formal language we don't use formal language or sacred language we use our idiom our heart language he goes on hallowed be your name i had a prisoner say to me once um why do we say it when we're now we're singing the lord's prayer with your, your instead of thy isn't that sacrilegious i said uh-uh it actually is probably more accurate. thy originally was singular, so it's more like the French chew right um, It only became holy over time, like some people think that Jesus used the King James Bible right I mean that's what all religions tend to do that make a holy language but Christianity, like the Greek that that the New Testament is written in is common Greek it's not formal greek it's not it's not fancy greek it's it's informal language so how be holy be your name and we have this funny dichotomy don't we of this deep holiness along with this intimacy and closeness that's how god is with us now who can make god's name holy only god can make his name holy and but so we're praying that your name that you your holiness your name be holy that your holiness will be noticeable will be fulfilled recognized and then we pray thy kingdom come that god's rule would be the preeminent rule that his rule would be over all of us more and more Uh, you know that matthew's version thy kingdom come thy will be done right same that's a hebraic sort of parallelism like you're supposed to get it. Both those words go together. And so we're praying, thy kingdom come. We're saying, we want your rule fully to be recognizable and full in the earth. And then he goes on, give us every day the bread we need. There's this dailiness, and the verb is a continuing verb. So it has this sense of dailiness, of ongoing. It's not just once and then we have to ask again, but give us every day. Keep on giving us with a kind of trust, an ongoing trust in God to provide. Forgive us our sins, a word that means we've missed the mark of what you want for us, as we forgive those who are indebted to us, a different word. Those who owe us, we forgive their debts. We let go of what they owe us as you, God, have forgiven us of something much more. So both kinds of sin, please, Lord, clean that up. And last... Lead us not into temptation, uh, or maybe protect us from testing. The picture there, um, a favorite commentator on Matthew of mine said, the picture is of temptation as a minefield. Isn't that the way it is? Temptation is a minefield that we're walking into day by day. Our whole world is a minefield, right, that we walk into. And so lead us not into temptation maybe is a better way to put it is Lead us over the minefield, or, or around it if it's possible. Leave us over the minefield. Don't let us even get in there, into that minefield where we might be blown up. Here's my summary. Father, the one who loves us, make this world function more and more visibly as your world. Make us function more and more like your people. And by extension, make me function more and more like your daughter, a daughter with a family resemblance to you and meet our needs but notice that meeting our needs comes after recognizing who God is remembering who God is what he's up to and wanting his ways to reign and of course we're reminded by Jesus pray this with boldness with boldness with persistence with confidence that our father is a good father much more eager to give to us than we are to ask. So with all of this in mind, once again, will you pray with me? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Amen.